the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. We have your back with everything from games, lessons, and coaching. YouthworkerCollective.com. Welcome to the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele, and I am here with Andy Morris. Andy Morris is a, a layperson in the United Methodist Church, and uh, he is also uh, working in the area of hunger and hunger relief um, with a couple of organizations, Rise Against Hunger and Pray Fast Give. And we're going to talk a little bit today about hunger. He's done an article for the Youth Worker Collective talking about how to pick a fight with hunger. And uh, man, that was an incredible article. Thank you, Andy, um, for that. And, and I just, you know, uh, with all of the youth workers that, that we're trying to resource and, and help, you know, I, I'd love to just sort of start at square one because, you know, I know that not everybody is uh, really familiar with the issue of hunger. I, I know that it's hard to escape having heard about it before, but uh, really just kind of at the outset, what is the is the problem um, kind of help us understand the the in the biggest possible terms the the problem of hunger in the world? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for the invitation. I uh, I pray every day for opportunities to talk to people about hunger because um, it's really been one of the things that's that's directed me in my my walk with God. And so, thanks for the opportunity to to talk about it. Hunger really around the world is um, is very pervasive, and a lot of people here in the United States where you and I are at. Um, we don't really necessarily get to see hunger at the level that exists in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. The Food and Agricultural Organization, which is part of the United Nations, um, tells us that there are over 820 million people who are chronically malnourished, mm -hmm. which is kind of a big number to really kind of wrap your head around. It's, it's almost a billion people. Right. Um, it works out to be about one in nine people, and we know that about half of those one in nine people are, are children. Um, Right. They they estimate that about 150 million of them are are under the age of 12. So there's a a large chunk of it that are are children. So it's not like it, it they're choosing to be without food. And the way they they measure it or where they talk about it within the United Nations and within the global community is we call it chronically malnourished mm -hmm. because that's a word that is a little more detailed than just hungry. And someone who's chronically malnourished is someone who who isn't getting the nutrients that they need to to be healthy, um, let alone be happy, but be healthy and survive. So if it's a child, you know, it's the nutrients they need to learn for their bodies to develop, for their brain to develop, for them to be able to um, go to school or build the IQ necessary for them to work and then earn money in their own lives later and feed their own families. Mm -hmm. So it's a problem that is immediate because it's right now, but it's also a problem that if we don't do something about it is going to impact the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. We know that when we get kids in school and we feed them in school and they get through primary education, um, they have they have less children. They have children later in life. Their children are healthier. And we actually see um, reduction in areas of the world where we've we've done a really good job of, of doing that. We've seen a reduction in chronic malnourishment. Right. Um, there are other parts of the world where it still rages and flourishes. And a majority of what I'm talking about is not the type of hunger that we experience here in the United States. Right. So tell us, you know, tell us what does that look like really in in practical terms? Like what does that look like um in, in on the ground? Um in, in real life, kind of in the flesh. 
Yeah, I like to give kind of two examples to the area. You know, one is 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 there's some areas uh, in Africa, like the guy who founded Rise Against Hunger, Ray Buchanan, um, talks about and tells people about going to Sierra Leone and experiencing uh, a type of hunger there where um, little kids, they try to braid their hair and they have so little nourishment and nutrients that they need that when they try and braid their hair, it falls out. Wow. Um, yeah. And and parents who literally have to choose between doing one of two things, they have to either send their kid into the fields to work or to a trash dump to dig for food or work to find food for the family or work to make money to, to buy food for the family versus choosing to send their child to school. Wow. Because if their child goes to school, they can't feed them because the school doesn't feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other thing that I tell people about that really uh, really catches them and it's closer to home in, in Haiti. Um, there's this thing called geophagy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it, 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 <laughs> hey, it, it, I, it, nobody else will know <laughs> eating. Yeah. It's eating dirt. Oh. Um, people buy at the market, a lady will buy a chunk of dirt and it's the specific type of dirt. It's, she brings it to her home. Um, she, she mixes it with, with fat, like basically the equivalent of an animal fat or a Crisco and salt. And will make the mud into these little discs on the roof and dries them in the sun, and they call them mud cookies. Mm. And uh, at the end of the day, um, adults won't eat it in public. Right. Adults eat it, and when they do eat it, they they do it in private. But the kids don't know any better, and the kids don't have a built-up sense of pride yet. Right. And so children will eat them, and and they have absolutely zero nutritional value. Mm. At the end at the end of the day, all they're doing is stopping hunger pangs. And right. and really not uh, doing anything other than just tiding them over while their body continues to almost digest itself. Yeah. Um, it it's really impactful to understand that kids are in other parts of the world are told here's a cookie and a cookie is not tasty. It isn't it isn't just bad for them. It's just negative anything for them. Mm. And uh, I'm told it sucks all the moisture out of your mouth and you're left with bad taste for hours. Yeah. That's a pretty crummy way to experience a cookie. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's intense. Um, so, you know, I, I know that in the teens in America that I get to spend time with um, in our local church and as I travel around um, speaking, um, there's a real deep sense of passion and um, desire to do um, something with their life that is worthwhile and, um, and, and I think causes like, you know, world hunger are, are exactly what their passion is wanting, right? Um, and and so the question I have sort of from the youth worker perspective is um, how do we communicate this um, to teenagers in a way um, – in a way that is sort of effective. How have you, I mean, I, I know that you get to speak to people, but, but how have you seen that done? What, what are some tips just kind of on the communication side? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's lots of different ways that, that you can approach it. I mean, the, the number one thing that I've learned in working with some youth was, is you can't heap guilt on them. Right. And then not tell them what to do with the guilt. Yes. Because, uh, otherwise, they start to feel shame for, mm-hmm. for the way they live in a world of abundance that we place them in. Right. Um, I think at the end of the day, passion has to be directed. Yeah. Right. So so passion is is John Wesley used to talk about zeal a lot. Right. Yeah. So so having this zeal is only good when we have a way to direct that energy. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is give them the path and 
more importantly, cast the vision of what we want to have happen in the end. Right. So I think for folks to tell youth just here's here's the problem and here's what we want to have happen um, doesn't necessarily work unless what we want to have happen is a, a concise vision right. of of how we're going to end hunger and then some meaningful steps to get there. Mm-hmm. I also feel like the number one problem that we do when we give them meaningful steps in a vision is we don't we don't build them with the resources to explain why they want to do it. Right. right? There's something visceral in their stomach that says, I'm, I feel bad for these people who are hungry. Right. Their heartaches, they're, they get a pit, uh, a knot in their stomach, or or they just can't conceive of this situation. Mm-hmm. Their brain is, is working on the, the topic. But then someone asks, well, why do you want to end hunger? And they don't necessarily have the answer. Yeah. So I think the first thing we have to do is give them the language by which they can explain why it's important to them. Mm. And in the article, I talk about, you know, at the end of the day, well, I want to do it because Jesus told me to do it, right. to love my neighbor. Uh, and and it's because God finds hunger intolerable. Mm-hmm. And I have no question about that it's important for me to do something about it. And I I can define that and you can define that and teach about grace very easily mm-hmm. because prevenient and justifying and sanctifying grace in parables really kind of can give you a great idea of how to talk about that parable of the workers in the field gives you the opportunity to talk about the fact that it doesn't matter who's hungry they're your they're your human family you should feed them the parable of the good samaritan tells you that you know when people are in need you don't question what you might lose or need in order to help them you go and help them mm-hmm. and you know the parable of the uh, prodigal son tells you, you know, it, it. people may not even know that they need help or they may not even get the chance to ask for help. And when you see him coming, you stop and you help them. Those are all acts of grace. And being able to, to talk to them about grace gives you an opportunity to show them how to apply a parable, a piece of scripture to their ability to explain why it is they want to make grace for other people. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, so the, the vision at the end of the day is we want to not just end hunger. We want to create a church that cares about hunger and wants to see hunger end. And the way we do that is to make healthy disciples, right. healthy disciples that, that because if the church changed and said, you know what, let's, uh, let's redefine our scope here. And we want to do just create a bunch of warriors to end the ills of the world poverty and hunger being probably number one and two on the list, um, our church would die right? because our church is formed to make disciples right. for the transformation of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm rambling on, but at no. the end of the day, what, what we've created with Fast Pray Give um, is setting this vision of we want to be good, healthy disciples that right. care about ending hunger, and, and we're going to fast to make space, we're going to pray, to ask God to be deeply involved, and then we're going to have action. We're yeah. going to go out and we're going to give to people who are in need. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's that's exactly right. We, we have to, you know, one of the sort of aspects of the teenage brain is that they, they can't, you know, immediately make the sort of connection between the um, – abstract and the concrete, right? So um, the sort of abstract idea, there is this global hunger, right? This this idea, this is not in my 
you know, right in my vision, not right in my backyard kind of thing. Um, and then kind of making that leap to the why and the how um, is uh, they need help with that. Um, and so that's really our, our role in communicating this and, and to, to make sure that, like you said, it's, it's placed in a, in spiritual terms, right? It helped them connect their, their faith in with uh, this in a, in, in a way that makes sense and is clear. Uh, so I, th- I think, you know, from that communication sort of mindset, um, you know, the, the next piece is, okay, so we've got to obviously give them those steps. Uh, what are those steps? Like what can, um, uh, I'm, I live in Mobile, Alabama. So what can a 12-year-old in Mobile, Alabama uh, do to have an impact in hunger? Yep. Well, so the, the first thing that, that we absolutely need everybody to do is to uh, to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that advocacy works both in educating people around them. So first off, they need to go learn for themselves and understand the language. Um, I, I feel like I, I worked with Rise Against Hunger for um, well over a year before I had the vocabulary to really talk about hunger and feel like I talked about it from a point, not of expertise, but right. of uh, of being um, sufficiently qualified to talk about hunger. Right. And there's lots of good resources. And I, I think I provided a link in the article um, to the Food and Agriculture Organization because they, they're they on the front lines of actually collecting information. So mm-hmm. learning some about it and being able to speak to it with authority is a, is a great way to become an advocate. Um, and then and then once you, you can talk about it, it's important to pray about it. And I think not just for a 12-year-old to pray about it, but to lead others in prayer about it and ask others mm-hmm. to join them in prayer about it. So you know, throwing and chucking money or food at a problem is not necessarily going to end hunger. We've got to ask God to be involved and we've got to ask God, God, how do you want me to end hunger? Or God, what are you asking me to do to help someone else in need? Because a 12 year old's call may not be to end hunger. It may be something yeah. else. And it starts with asking, asking God for help and direction. And then we, we got to listen. Um, I think that's one of the, the places where fasting starts to come in. Mm-hmm. Now, it's difficult to ask young people to fast without kind of walking them through how it works or doing it with them. Right. Um, but really, they are <laughs> youth are just at the point in their lives where they're starting to really um, be impacted heavily with demands from the world around them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're at a, an inflection point right. from where they get to be childlike and be closer to understanding God because they've, they're closer to have come from God mm-hmm. than those of us who are looking back and we're 20 or 30 years ago from the last time we were, we were in God's presence truly. Right. And, and it's their opportunity to learn to be quiet and be still. And any materials out there that, that you could seek out to help kids um, not necessarily meditate, but, to when they fast, use it as a, a place to create some space. Mm-hmm. And when I say fast, I don't mean do like John Wesley and stop eating on Thursday until three o'clock on Friday. Mm-hmm. What I mean is we're going to put our cell phones down for an entire Saturday. <laughs> and on that Saturday, when we feel like pull, pulling our phones out of our pocket, that's going to be an opportunity for us to say, I'm fasting from this phone because there are people that don't have enough to eat and my phone costs $700. Right. And it's not to make them feel guilty. It's for them to feel uh, privileged, proud, and then willing to say, God, you know, I live in abundance. What 
what can I do to help somebody else? Mm-hmm. And, and there are lots of other ideas that, that youth workers are smart and creative to figure out ways for kids to fast from things that are in their everyday purview that's not necessarily food, right. that they could redirect that time and energy. They're starting to be taught at this point that they live in a, a pie chart world. Right. And every slice is a slice of something that they've committed to, whether it's school or sports or a hobby or an activity. Church is one of those slices. And and uh, as adults, we carry one that's a, a pie chart for time and one for money. And if if you ask an adult, you know, we've completely carved those up. Right. For a child, definitely time wise, it's completely carved up. Mm-hmm. Find find an opportunity to, to apply fasting in their life and prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, to to make a space and create a pie slice for right. other people that are in need. And then, of course, action. G- going in, and it doesn't have to be international human- humanitarian aid for people to understand that they're hungry. We have hunger problems in our country here, too. Go v- uh, work at a food bank. A lot of Methodist churches, um, if it's not your Methodist church, a neighboring Methodist church has a food bank and they got stuff that needs to be sorted or stuff that right. needs to be cleaned. Um, and those types of volunteering activities get them in front of the people that can educate them to become better advocates as well. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I would suggest. Um, uh, the The thing that is often done that I will tell you is not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily is impactful is starving them to make a point. Right. Don't don't withhold food from a growing kid and say, <laughs> now you feel like someone else's feels because right. ultimately at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything in our society that we can do to really make us understand what it's like to be chronically malnourished. Right. And just my personal observation, I feel like talking to young adults and telling them that it's more complicated than you can probably understand because it's more complicated than I can understand right. goes a lot farther than us trying to heap something on them. That's artificial. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, depending on the circumstance might actually be a bad idea, <laughs> you know, uh, depending on what their life is like and what their medication is like. Um, if they just go out and stop eating, um, Bingo. So, um, so, and so then kind of one step further, can you tell us, you know, your organization and uh, Rise Against Hunger, uh, what are the ways that uh, youth groups, youth pastors, youth workers can um, use those tools to sort of engage their students in the problem? Yeah, absolutely. So for those that... I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of people that listen to your your podcast here that have probably experienced a meal packaging event, but they haven't. Rise Against Hunger does like this corporate meal packaging event. And by corporate, I mean it's a group of people. It's church-wide mm-hmm. um, or community-wide. They gather a bunch of people together. Um, those people uh, put up, bring in volunteers. Um, they pay uh, a certain amount percent, probably about 34 cents per meal, and then they provide the tables and the space. And Rise Against Hunger is a mobile meal packaging event that comes in, and it's intergenerational. So you're going to get the opportunity for young people to work alongside adults and kids at the same time. They have jobs from seven-year-olds up to 70-year-olds. Right. And in that meal packaging event, they actually get to put hands on rice, dehydrated soy, and dehydrated vegetables and vitamins and minerals that actually are going to go to people who are in need. It's cooked and fed to people who are chronically malnourished. Right. Um, 
it's an opportunity for people to really put into practice the action that sometimes it might be really hard to organize. And being that it's turnkey, it's really, it's really simple. Um, most of the time, Rise Against Hunger or someone who does the same thing as Rise Against Hunger, there are lots of other organizations mm -hmm. across the U.S. that do this type of thing, um, will provide you one of their meal packets. It's really great sometimes to cook some of it and feed it to the kids and say, you know, this, this is if you've got nothing and this is all you've got. How do you like this? And, yeah. and some of them go, Ooh, this is gross. I don't want it. But there's definitely a large handful of them that go that are pragmatic and go, wow, this is pretty good. And then you tell them that, you know, th this little serving is all you would need. It's got all the all the calories and nutrients that someone yeah. who is who's malnourished needs. And it's it's in one bowl. It's right here. And it's a really eye opener. Um, so that's why Fast Prey give partners with them, um, mm -hmm. mainly because I feel like they they measure and evaluate the people they're helping very well and they're right. really working hard to do no harm. <laughs> yeah. But um, what Fast Prey Give does is, is, is we kind of give people a vision and a direction, right? We ask people to fast one meal a week during that time, pray for people who are hungry and then give what you would have spent hopefully on the meal that you fasted to help end world hunger. Right. So um, most of the world lives on like $2 a week. Right. And, and I, I usually get quiet after I say that $2 a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we ask for eight dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely more than the one meal you would fast yeah. a week. It's it's I'm sorry, it's significantly less than than what you would spend right, on right, the, right. the yeah. one meal. Um, eight dollars a month helps us basically feed one other person. So that's you being responsible for another person. Um, so those are those opportunities. And we found that um, at the end of those meal packaging events, when, when people go, this is great. We've had a lot of fun. We've we've bounced uh, loud music and we've gotten energy out and we've, we've seen a tangible result of boxes of food going on the pallets to help people. What right. more can we do? This is where we say, well, fast pray give is if this is church wide, fast pray give is an individual practice, a movement of individuals, mm -hmm. um, something you can do to say, I want to, I want to do more and make it, make it part of my life. I think uh, adult leaders that participate in this, um, can can bring kids along and bring parents along to want to also mm -hmm. participate in this. It mm -hmm. works really good in groups. So if they have small groups that they they study with as well, small groups can talk about it and decide whether or not they want to make a commitment to uh, to fast something and ask their parents to to contribute. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, if they want to sign up at fastpregive.org and donate there, man, I would be. Uh, jumping up and down happy if there's another place that they want to collect some revenue and specifically give to another organization in response to it you know i'm i'm totally cool with that as well Great. um so that's that's kind of how our program works we're we're opposite sides of the coin one is is corporate and and church-wide and the other one is an individual movement but they really do work work hand in hand Wow. Well, man, thank you so much, uh, Andy. This this has been an incredible conversation. So much information, um, and uh, we appreciate it. Obviously, your article is available on youthworkercollective.com, but if somebody is uh, trying to look for uh, a little bit more, what's the best place to find you? Fastpraygive.org. So it's all one word because we do it all together. So it's fastpraygive.org, uh, and you'll if you'll watch out sometime in the fall of 2019, we'll also be publishing a small group study Great. that deals with a, a lot of these issues. It's not necessarily focused on youth, but any youth worker with a few minutes to read the chapter and sit and think about it could definitely adapt 
um, and and use a lot of the uh, a lot of the content to help talk to kids about about hunger and then how how we as people called Methodists can do something about it. Awesome. Well, when that comes out, we'll have to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, we believe as Youth Work Collective that. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems uh, a youth worker's face is uh, being alone, you know, because uh, oftentimes you are doing this by yourself. So uh, when you get online to work, uh, we don't want you to feel like you're alone, but know that we are here to help you out. And uh, we want to be your first source for games and ideas and lessons and all of what you need to be a youth worker. We've got your back on that. All of that can be found at youthworkercollective.com and more podcasts like this one at youthworkercollective.com slash podcast.